Welcome to Marrow Masters, sponsored by the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, Insight Corporation, and the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. The National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, established in 1992, strives to help patients, caregivers, and families cope with the psychosocial challenges of bone marrow and stem cell transplant from diagnosis through survivorship. Here's the Executive Director of the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, Peggy Burkhardt. Welcome, everyone. This series focuses on all things caregiving. We will hear from the experts and the experienced, and trust me, their know-how will offer caregivers and families at every stage of the journey best practices, tips, and most importantly, an abundance of hope. Caregivers will feel their support and compassion. Today's episode will feature Jean, a caregiver extraordinaire to her daughter, Shannon, who is now 28 years old. Shannon got sick in 2013 and was diagnosed in 2014. Today, Jean will share her story, her best tips, some tricks, and her very real perspective on being a caregiver to her daughter. Thanks for being with us today, Jean. Thank you, Peggy. My daughter, Shannon, was in grad school in 2013. Actually, she was in grad school. My son was in law school. So we were all kind of on our way. I had my dream job in California. We were all happy. Um, She had a fantastic undergrad experience at UDM, and she had so many friends. She met great kids there. And that's what I wanted to continue for her when she went to grad school. She chose life in Marietta, Georgia, and she loved her first semester of chiropractic college. She had 12 to 15 really close friends. They were great. She four-pointed her first semester, and I kind of felt like she was on her way. Just to backtrack a little bit, I couldn't even get Shannon to take Tylenol when she was growing up. When she got sick and I took her to the doctor and they wanted her to take an antibiotic, I would actually literally have to tackle her, put her head between my knees, hold her mouth open, put the antibiotic in, blow in her face, or she would spit it all over me. (laughs) Oh, She just was adverse to drugs and the typical path and all the medications and all the doctors and everything. And she really wanted to go down the health route. And so the amount of pills she takes to this day, a day, If I told her that 10 years ago, she would have never believed me because it just wasn't her philosophy of medicine or or life in general. So I have a big family of chiropractors, my brother, two uncles, five cousins, and I raised her since she was born going to chiropractors and having chiropractic care, really believe strongly about it. So when she went to life, it was a perfect storm for us, right? She was so happy there. And she started not to feel well at the end of her first semester. She had bone pain, back pain, hip pain, like big bone pain, I found out later, is a part of leukemia. And she came home for Christmas. I flew in from California. My son came in. We were all in with our family, and she couldn't sleep. I took her to her primary care doctor. I took her to the urgent care. We took her to the ER. We took her everywhere, and all they did was drug her up and send her home. And that's frustrating in itself because that happened a lot over the next few months. She tried to go back to school. By the time she got to Tennessee, she could barely walk. I was back in California. I flew to Georgia a couple times when she was in the ER for a week or two. And all they would do is drug her up and send her home and say she has some kind of virus. And it was frustrating because she knew she was sick. Like, this is a person that knows her own body. And she knew she was sick. And we just couldn't get anything. And finally, she was so sick. She was 
in this intensive unit and they had her drugged up and nobody knew what was wrong with her. One of the doctors came in and said that she had a virus. It's a virus and I promise she's going to get over it, he said to me. First of all, doctors don't know everything. So I didn't know that. I know that now. But there was a cancer doctor, a blood doctor in that hospital, and he came in and he would just stare at her with his arms crossed and shake his head and say, I don't know what it is, but I promise you this is not a virus, but I don't know what it is, but I'm going to figure this out. And it took a couple days. I didn't realize how sick she was. I didn't realize she was dying. I didn't know. I mean, how would anybody know that? And he came in one day, he said, I've been working with a radiologist and we've never seen it, but we think we know what it is. And she's very, very ill. It's blastic plasmatoid dendritic cell neoplasm. I mean, if someone tells you that to that, would you ever know that that's leukemia? But that's what it is. It's a very, very aggressive, horrible, horrible leukemia. So in January 2014, you remember seeing it on the news. There was a ice storm in Atlanta. And if you're in Atlanta and there's an ice storm, it shuts everything down, which it did. All the cars on the highway were stopped and school buses with kids were there overnight. It was awful. But it stuck us at this hospital where we needed to get to Northside, which turns out is one of the best leukemia centers in the country. And we were so fortunate to have Dr. Holland there. He called because we weren't getting there, weren't getting there. And they were waiting for her because this is a rare form of leukemia. And he knew how important it was for us to get there. And he finally called and he got the nurse on the floor and he was literally yelling. He said, you are killing her. She has to get over here. You're killing her. Wow. It was, I mean, she came in, she was crying. She goes, I don't know what to do. And they got an ambulance and got us over there. So it did the trick, which also is another tip. (laughs) Your doctors have a lot of power. And if you get a doctor on your side, even when they say no, no doesn't mean no. So the second we got to Northside, it was amazing. He's got quite a setup there. They were all over it. Maria was in charge and she's still in contact with Shannon today, six years later. And we were there for about a month And she still contacts Shannon and she's been here to visit us. I mean, Shannon has that type of impact on people. She draws people in and she has this amazing personality and she's funny and she's smart and she's beautiful. And she was literally dying. And they went after her with everything but the kitchen sink. Like he hit her with the strongest um, chemo that you could possibly hit her with. And he said, I've talked to John Hopkins and I've talked to here and I've talked to here and I've talked to here. He was willing to say, this is very rare. I need to talk to my counterparts that know what they're doing. And when you get a doctor that's not willing to do that, and I've asked that to a lot of doctors since, who have you called? Who have you talked to? Have you called Northside? Have you called John Hopkins? Have you called here? Have you called here? And when they say no, I say, pick up the phone. Nobody is perfect. See what other people are doing. That's what I expect of you. That's my expectation. And I think that that goes a long way for you being an advocate for the patient, which is exactly what you need to be, because nobody's going to be that advocate except you. And I've learned that. 
I really think that the team at Northside saved her life, no question. And when they came and said that we had to come back to Michigan, I said, no, I won't go. Like, you're saving her. And he said, you don't understand. You cannot do this by yourself. And first of all, you don't never say that to a single mom because we can do everything ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. (laughs) But he was right. You cannot do this by yourself. You need your squad. You need your community. You need your relatives. You need your family. You need your friends. You need all of their friends from college. You need all of their friends that they grew up with. You need an army. That's what you need to get through this. And I learned that. I didn't know that. And he was right. And we just needed all those people to be successful. And we had a great experience here. Uh, So we came back to the area on an angel flight. We've never flown in a small plane before. It's kind of like driving only in the air. So you don't have to like stop at stop signs and stuff. But (laughs) it was it was an experience. And um, they were ready for her. And they started radiation to get ready for the bone marrow transplant. And her bone marrow is from Poland. You know, another interesting fact is Poland had just joined the registry. They hadn't been on it before. Germany was and most of Europe but not Poland. So if this had happened a year before, we wouldn't have had access to that donor. So bone marrow donors are so important. And when she got sick, they said something that was striking, and I didn't really understand it at the time, but they said, you're so lucky you're European descent. And I I was like, okay, (laughs) you know. But he's right. It's a social (laughs) obligation in Europe that everyone gives their, their blood and gets on the registry. We don't do that here. And they don't do it in Asia, and they don't do it anywhere else. And Europe does it. They're really good on social obligations. And we were very, very lucky. That's how I feel about her donor. I mean, we're just so fortunate. Absolutely. So she had her transplant in April 2014. And I took her home. I was living in California. So my sister found us a rental place. And it had to meet all the qualifications, right? She had to have her own bathroom because of bacteria and her own space and found us a nice rental. And one of the doctors said something really interesting about GVH. She said, you know, if you get just a little bit of GVH, that's a good thing because it means the donor cells are stronger than your cells, which means it's going to eat the cancer and it's not going to come back. And the other doctor said, never, ever say that again. You never, ever wish GVH on anybody. And I didn't understand it till it took over Shannon's body, right? I mean, I had no idea what they were talking about, but I completely get it now. Fortunate that it did eat the cancer, but also it's attacked almost every part of her. And it's an awful, awful, awful disease to have. It's weird because it's life-saving, but it's also devastating. That's a good way to put it, Jean. Yeah. The first part of GVH that she had was of her gut. (laughs) And I don't know if anybody has ever experienced this out there, but it shreds your intestinal stomach. Everything is just in shreds, literally on the inside of your body in shreds. And I couldn't picture it, but if you put like even a, a little ice chip on her tongue, it would come straight out in blood for not just a minute, not just a little drip of water. It would come out for an hour as blood. And it was devastating. I have to thank a lot of people like my sisters jumping in and and getting the rental. And my real estate agent in California sold my place 
had it professionally cleaned, had all my stuff shipped back to Michigan. I mean, she just said, you take care of your kid. I will take care of your place here. And it was just, I had so many people and felt so much love that like people I didn't know that well, even it was amazing. And I feel really blessed. And I know that Shannon feels really blessed as well. Another thing that they told us is that when you have GVH, this is what the doctors told us of the gut. It's like a 20% success rate. That's what they told us. So you're sitting there looking at this kid that just went through a transplant and you're thinking is beating all odds. And you're like, we have 20% chance. She was literally out of it on pain medication for months. We were in the hospital. And when we got home, she said something interesting to her friend, Lauren, on the phone, one of her friends from high school. She goes, you know, you could have visited me. And I looked at her because I was listening to this part of the conversation. And Lauren said, Shannon, I visited you five times. We sat and talked for over an hour each time. And Shannon had no recollection. Wow. So it's pretty crazy. It's very, very intense GVH. It sure is, Jean. So we know that you are a no-nonsense caregiver. And I love how you're keeping it so real. So what did you do about your life in California? I know you must have missed it but you had to take care of business. So what happened next? That was a hard hard decision just professionally after like, when you're raising kids as a single mom, you would do anything. If I didn't have a job, literally didn't have to do this, but I would have worked six jobs just to support my kids. So I found my dream job living in California, this amazing experience. And then I'm in Detroit. I have to be in Detroit with my kid. And they were so nice. They let me work from home for six months. I mean, probably not by choice. I'm sure they would rather have me out there. But And then they offered me a work-from-home job. It, it was a big job. I felt like it was a big job. And now I think I would really excel at it. But at the time, you know, with East Coast, West Coast, all of the U.S. and Canada and everything and working with all the plants, and I just thought I can't be successful at this because it's a big job and I don't want to be a failure in my work. So. I think I need to find something locally. And they've been so good to me. And I loved that company so much. I'll say it. I worked for Nestle. They were amazing. I still buy all Nestle products because, (laughs) I mean, quite frankly, they are an amazing company with excellent values. And they really treated me great. But I was back in Michigan. So I went back to work for the automotive industry in a plant I don't know what I was thinking. Like I'm in HR, so I know what FMLA is. I understand it. Like I've been in HR my entire career and I didn't think for one second about quitting that job and starting over and realizing that you have to work for a company for a year before you even qualify for FMLA. So I didn't have a choice when she had GVH of the gut. I worked every day and I spent the night at the hospital every night for months with no break. And you're in a new job and you're trying to be successful and learning a new job is hard anyway. And the pressure was just astronomical. It just was a decision that I didn't think about at the time. And now I look in retrospect and think, what was I thinking? Seriously, you know? Sure. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about Shannon's uh, GVHD. So Shannon has GVH of the lungs. She has 30% lung function. She has GVH of the skin and the gut and the so much that we probably don't even know if they looked at the inside of her. I don't think that they would even realize right now the extent of everything. But GVH of the gut, I would say, is like 
awful. It's horrible. The fact that her body healed its gut and she can eat normal food like a normal person right now is just mind-boggling to me. I cannot believe that the body healed itself. That's crazy to me. But when she was going through that, she couldn't even lift a step to walk up a step to get on the porch. She couldn't get on or off the toilet. She couldn't get in and out of bed. I had to help her eat everything. It's like that devastating to your body. And she picked things up because she her everything was down. So she got C. diff in the hospital. Like she picked up other things, which made her sicker. It just was a lot. It's you worry about them. Is she getting any nutrition? But they tried to explain like nutrition doesn't have to go in through your mouth to be getting nutrition. She'll be fine. We have to let this gut heal. So I learned a lot along the way. And then um, she has GVH of the lung. So 30% lung function, you have to have 20% lung function to get a placard for your car. So she doesn't qualify for that. But she literally can't walk most days from her car into the store. So she's kind of like right on that. We're glad that she doesn't have more than 30%. But it's also like, she's in a weird spot. And one of her lung doctors drew the lungs for me, like on the paper that covers like your examination table. And he drew like these big tubes and then the small tubes. And then he took a marker and he crossed off all the small tubes. And he said, she has only the big tubes left. The small tubes will never grow back. The small airways will never grow back. This is what she's left with. So we really have to protect these lungs right here. And I think that was really interesting to me and and helped me because I was always like, come on, Shannon, like you can do it. You can walk up these stairs. Well, no, she can't. She can't walk up the stairs. So it just was interesting for me and kind of put things in perspective for me but it's caused a lot of problems. She got a fungus and an infection in her lungs about a year and a half ago, and her lungs filled with fungus pods. And you could see them right on the x-rays and the stuff that they take. You could see them all full of fungus pods. And she was so sick. She was so sick that one day she was she couldn't lay down because she couldn't breathe. They couldn't do anything, put any tubes down her lungs because her lungs are such a mess. They tried. It caused a nosebleed and she had her nose packed. So she can't breathe and her nose is packed and she can't lay down and she's exhausted and just a million things. And they can't help her. They're throwing everything at her that they possibly could do to try to figure this out. And the doctor, her transplant doctor came in and I realized later that it was to say goodbye because he didn't think he'd ever see her again. Oh, no. And he said, eventually she'll get too tired to breathe. And I looked at her and she's like on pillows, like sitting up, like taking breaths like this, like that. And I said, oh, no, 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 this is not happening. (laughs) No. And I went over and I looked her in the face and I go, you are going to breathe. And I don't know by the grace of what, but The next day he came in to see her and she was sitting on her bed with her legs crossed eating a hamburger. Wow. And I can't explain it. And the doctor said, her lungs aren't getting worse, but they're not getting better. So we're going to send you home because you don't want to be in the hospital. That's where you pick stuff up. And we're going to try over the next 18 months to try to get rid of this fungus in her lungs. And we went home and came back three weeks later and the fungus was not in her lungs anymore. And the doctor was flabbergasted. And she couldn't explain it. And I can't explain it. I don't know. This kid has such a strong will to live, but you have to have a strong will to live. 
You have to. I was just going to say that her will was, she was determined. Yeah. I mean, you have to. And she's got GVH of the skin. And it's like, I'm trying to explain that around her torso, the skin feels like if you touched a basketball. So it's that hard. So like you couldn't like poke it in like you can on me. <laughs> I'm like, you know, like it's like you can grab a piece of it and pinch it out. You cannot with her. It's that hard. So sometimes her scleroderma on her stomach with the GVH gets so bad that it squeezes her lungs, her little lungs. And we have to go to the dermatologist and they have to give her steroids in there to kind of open it up so that her skin has a little bit of room so that she can breathe. Okay. She's got it all over and she's got it on her face and on her arms and on her legs. And it's shiny. And she's had different things with it. Like on her back looks a lot better right now, but she's had a lot of sores on her back and her rear. She had sores on her rear so bad that it was like months and months and months of pain. And I finally am sitting at the end of my rope because I'm changing these sores. I'm cleaning them every day. And we're sitting in the, in the waiting room. And one of the ladies goes, does she have sores? And I go, yeah, on her back and on her rear. And she goes, here's a clinic in Clinton Township. Go to this place. And I went there and they gave her some cream and stuff. And two weeks later, all the sores were gone. And we were suffering for almost a year with these, like at the hospital, at the transplant center. So like, this is my whole point is that not everybody knows everything. You learn different things as you go along. She goes to the holistic doctor when I think that she's getting a sore throat or before COVID, let's start there. But she goes to the holistic doctor, if she starts to get a scratchy throat or something, and they give her treatments and test her blood and get everything right. And it has helped us. And her transplant doctors don't mind. I mean, we tell them, we're honest with them. First of all, don't do anything unless you're going to be honest with your doctors, ever. Excellent point. I mean, ever, ever, ever. And I don't even care what it is. If it's marijuana, which she could never breathe, so let's work here. So she can't smoke pot because she's got bad lungs. So it's not like I'm saying that that's what she does. But I'm just saying that don't hide anything. Be 100%. If she's not sleeping, don't go in there and say she is. Don't lie to them because they need to know the information to help your child. And they need all the information. So don't do that. Good tips, Jean. Thanks. She's had um, of her eyes, like she had pros lens for a while because when you have radiation and different things, I'm sure she had GVH in her eyes, but you don't have tears. And I mean, it was so painful for her. I couldn't take her outside because the wind would hurt her eyes so bad. You couldn't have a fan on. We couldn't do anything. Like even walking across the room hurt her eyes. Wow. So they put these pros lens in and they worked for a while. And now she does serum tears and that is helping like so much. Her eyes were all scratched and such a mess and they're healing. And the doctors say, you can't believe how much. There's hardly any scratches. Like her eyes are so much healthier and she can go outside and she can Even if it's windy, she sits outside and we can have a fan on in the living room and she's okay. And so there are different things. And if you, that's why you got to do your research and you got to look for stuff because bring it to them and say, why aren't we trying this? Or can you call or can you get me an appointment there? Because most of the time you can't get an appointment. You need your doctor to call and and get you in, you know? Sure. So bring us up to speed now. And then I want to hear some of your tips. So this year... (laughs) She's had both her hips replaced and we got a really good surgeon because she has GVH of the skin. So her doctor didn't think that they were going to be able to close her incisions. 
So he sent us to the best of the best of the best. And I got to tell you, she had her right hip replaced in the beginning of March, and she had her second hip replaced in June. And she's walking without crutches, without her walker. She's not in a wheelchair anymore. The pain in her hips is gone. Both of her incisions are completely closed up. I put her in a pool at my cousin's house because she can't go in a normal pool because of bacteria. But at my cousin's house, we put her in the pool and she swam last weekend. Great. So that has helped a lot. And on the flip side, she found out that she has it in her shoulders now. So we're trying to keep her shoulders as long as we can. So she's not like lifting herself out of her chair with her shoulders and We're just trying to preserve those bones as long as we possibly can. But she's pretty amazing. (laughs) She sounds pretty amazing. Yeah. How about we go into some of your best tips? Sure. So as a caregiver, you have to get sleep and you have to rest and you have to eat well and you have to move your body. And I didn't do any of that. So when she is doing her exercise and her walking, even if you're in the hospital overnight, put it on your schedule and go up and down the stairwell a couple times. You have to move your body. You have to stay healthy. You cannot gain weight. You have to take care of yourself so you can take care of that person. You cannot become an unhealthy person because you're sitting at home with them all day, which is what you do. You have to do yoga. You have to do anything that you can do to stay healthy. Great. When someone asks you if they can help, don't say no. So can I bring dinner over? And maybe you have so much food, say, no, I'm good this week, but can you bring dinner over next Tuesday? Because people don't know what to do and they want to help. And when you keep saying no, they're not going to keep asking you. And you are not Superman or Superwoman. Like everybody needs help. So people will say, do you want to talk? Uh, no, I don't <laughs> want to talk. I've talked about this all day and I'm tired. But hey, send me a playlist and a bottle of wine and I'll be good. Like seriously, that will help me. But they don't know unless you tell them. So no one ever says, and I hope you send this podcast to all your relatives and your friends because no one ever asks, hey, how you doing with your bills? How you doing? Like me, I had a place in California. I had to run a place here. We sold a place in California. I got a place here in Rochester Hills that I had to redo to get it safe for Shannon to move into. So I have like two households. No one ever says, hey, Can I take over your consumer's power for the next 12 months? I mean, literally, how much is consumer's power? But it was a big deal to me. It would be a big deal to me. So when your brother says, hey, do you need anything? Yeah, actually, a couple gift cards for gas would be great. That would really be a big help for me. Good idea. Because people want to help you. They do. They want to help you. Another thing is go to the nursing director and ask for coupons for parking. Sometimes they give those to you. Talk to the other caregivers when you're in the waiting room. Like when she's not there, she doesn't like when I talk about her beeswax when she's around, but when they're not around, (laughs) like I learn a lot of good tips by that. And, oh, I know, like when you're in a room in the doctor's office, because you're going to be in the doctor's office a lot, open the door and they'll close it and open it. (laughs) And then they'll close it because they don't want to look at you. They don't want to look at you when you're waiting for an hour. So who cares? Open the door back up. I have done that. Like just even during a physical appointment. (laughs) <laughs> no, because you think they forget about you. So you think if you open the door, they do have to look at you and remember, oh, yeah. she's been sitting in there. Yeah. <laughs> They'll close it, but open it back up. And, I love it. You know, I, I think a big thing is to give people a break. You know, I hate it when people say, you find out who your friends are. I mean, that's just not true. 
People are not comfortable with sick people. It's just a fact. People don't like to go to hospitals. That's just a fact. People don't like funerals. They don't like a lot of things. It doesn't matter. So give people a little bit of of a break. If they were your friend before, they were your friend for a reason. Just try to remember that. And, you know, you're different too. So you're always talking about the doctors and the admins and, you know, the appointments and the insurance company and the medications and the pharmacists. Nobody wants to hear that all the time. Nobody wants that. You changed too. They might have changed, but you changed. And every time you talk to them, if you talk about it, it's going to get old for them too. So just remember that. I remember my cousin used to take her to the doctor on Tuesdays for me so I could work. And (laughs) they went in and shocker, they were there for her appointment, but they had accidentally scheduled it for the following year. And um, (laughs) the the guy was not being helpful. And my daughter's really sick and my cousin's like losing it. And she looked and his badge said yummy on it. (laughs) And she's like, take that badge off. You are not yummy. You do not deserve to be called yummy. And my daughter's telling me this story back and I'm like in hysterics. (laughs) But, you know, people don't know what you go through until they do it for you. If they're your stand in, then they get it but they won't get it otherwise, right? Sure. Oh, you're great. (laughs) So um, write everything down because you're going to forget. You're going to be like, oh, I'll remember that drug. You won't remember it. Write it down. And then people will say, I don't know how you do it, Jean. You're so strong. And you're like, please, I'm a mom. That's what moms do. Exactly. You know, if you're a caregiver, you're a caregiver. Like, what am I supposed to do? Oh, sorry, kid, you're (laughs) sick. You're on your own, you know? Like, what the heck? Of course you're going to do whatever you can. So a big thing that I found was helpful with Shannon is put pictures of them up before they got sick in their hospital rooms. And I did that when she had a transplant. And the amount of people that came in and said, who is that? Like, I'm talking six months after she got sick, you guys. I'm not talking years later. Like she, of course, looks like a completely different person than she did before she got sick. It's been six years. And she goes, who is that? And I go, that's Shannon. That's my child six months ago. That's who you're trying to save. That's who we're trying to save here, that kid. That's what I want back. And just kind of put it in their face so they don't think that it's just a sick kid, you know, that they are helping, that it's a real person, you know? Oh, that's great, Jean. It's so true. What a wonderful idea. Okay, we're going to start to wrap things up here, but I know you have something wonderful to share about Shannon herself as the patient advocating for herself. Can you share that story with us real quick? So she has a degree in biology from University of Detroit Mercy, and she's a smart kid, and she understands the body. Like I told you, she was all into that before she got sick. She understands all of that. So when they talk about drugs, she's like, what drug is that? What drug family? Why that dose? Can I take a little bit less? Do I need that full dose? How do you know that I don't need the full dose? Can we try a half dose and see if that works for a while? Like she's like all about it. And she talks it like she got sick when she had that fungus pod thing. They put her on some medication to like protect, like I think it was like her liver and her kidneys or something. Well, they never took her off it. And she got medical alopecia, which is painful, people. It is painful. Like your head hurts. Like I couldn't even brush her hair or touch her head. And her hair is falling out in clumps. And it's not from radiation and it's not from chemo. It's from this drug. And they couldn't figure it out. It wasn't on the side effects, by the way. But she was reading a blog and she found it in a blog. And she cut herself off from that medication and it stopped the medical alopecia. 
and her hair grew back. And they didn't know it. That's my point. Like she figured it out on her own. So they don't know everything for sure. That's a great reminder for people. Okay, we're going to wrap this up, but I just want to hear any last tips you got for us because you are just providing a wealth of information here, Jean. So as caregivers, we all know they're not always very pleasant. So you know nothing. Sometimes I say to her like, oh, I'm just shocked that I made it through college and grad school, raised you, I work, (laughs) take care of this house, raised your brother, he's a lawyer, like, I must have done something right. Shocking that I can do something right. And then I just stop and I think to myself, she is sick and she is tired of me. And people hurt people. They should be loving the most. So forget what they said because they don't mean it. They honestly don't. They don't feel good. And it's hard to be nice when you don't feel good. So just love them because we're so fortunate to have this time with them. GVH is ruining their body. Don't ruin their spirit. And I just, if anything, I appreciate um, the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link for giving me the opportunity to speak. And I hope that if anything today, you take that with you. Oh, Jean, you got me here. (laughs) Very emotional and very just heartfelt. Um, Wow, you really know what you're talking about. And this is just going to help so many people better understand all of it, just the good, the bad, the ugly, but at the end of the day, the love. Yeah. And I'd say your daughter, Shannon, is very lucky to have a mom like you. <laughs> Aww, thank you. I'll tell her you said that. <laughs> Please do. And I'd love to meet her. She sounds like an incredible uh, warrior and just a pistol, but a good pistol. She is. She is a good pistol. Uh, well, thank you so much, Jean, for your time. This was fabulous. Thank you. This has been the Marrow Masters Podcast. Feel free to share this episode via text, email, or social media. To hear more, subscribe for free to Marrow Masters in your favorite podcast app. To learn more about the resources available to both patients and caregivers, check out the National Bone Marrow Transplant link at nbmtlink.org. That's nbmtlink.org, or just follow the link in our show notes.